welcome to a very special episode of Roughly a Podcast. If you listened to last week's episode, we told you we had something fun coming, and that fun thing is a conversation with Gary Hill Jr. Phil and I got to speak with Gary, and it was awesome. Unsurprisingly, he's a very cool dude. Uh, comes across that way in uh, and everything he does, but he was awesome to sit down with. We talked to him about the Mariners' season, obviously got into specifics with Julio and the pitching staff and what this team has done well um, in kind of this new era to get to the point that they are. Talked a little bit about Gary's career, his relationship with Aaron Goldsmith. Really, really great conversation, and Mariners fans are lucky to have Gary um, along with the rest of the Mariners broadcasting team. If you like what you heard, you can give us a five-star rating, subscribe, follow, all that good stuff. Uh, Gary mentioned his favorite nonprofit at the end. Would love any donations you can give to Treehouse. And if you would like some of Seattle's best coffee, you can go to elmcoffeeroasters.com. Use promo code ROUGHLY to get 25% off your first order of the best coffee money can buy. All right, here's Gary. All right, we are honored to be joined by Gary Hill, who is an integral part of the Mariners radio broadcast crew, the man behind the Wheelhouse podcast, the Mariners podcast, and other essential supplemental listens for Mariners fans. Fresh off the hottest month in Mariners history, Gary, thank you for coming on Roughly a Podcast. You call the game today, and then you're talking to us afterwards. That's awesome. Yeah, happy to be here anytime, guys. Yeah, it's uh, certainly a great time to talk Mariners baseball, that's for sure. Definitely. Um, So again, wrapped up, best month, team history. The vibes are out of control. I know you are a, a, you know, you have a job to do, but you are at your core a Mariners fan. So I'm sure the the games are more fun, but are they also more stressful to call? Because that's how it feels for people like Phil and me as we watch that it's, it's pins and needles on every pitch. Yeah, you know, there is something to that where the tension mounts a little bit, the stakes rise. And it's funny, whenever you go, I feel like when a team ever goes on a win streak, it's like the next game is even more important than the one previous. And the next moment is even more important than the one previous. And that's just the way things happen. And I I don't look at it as stressful. I look at it as just fun. I think it's so great to have a stretch like this and what everything the Mariners are playing for. And I think about these last couple of years and how much Mariner fans have been waiting this for such a long time. It has been a generation of Mariner fans have not experienced these kinds of moments and the Mariners right now fighting for a division title. It's just not something Mariner fans have had. So for me, it's just a thrill. It's fun. It's why we all do this, do what we do. We're fans or broadcasters or whatever. We're all in the same boat here. We're just enjoying the ride. So I'm just having a great time with it. It's, it's super fun and I can't wait to see how it plays out. So you'll take this over August 2019 any day is what you're telling us. <laughs> no doubt. Yeah. <laughs> Question about uh, that. Okay. Well, let's start with Julio because he is the straw that stirs the drink. And I think we've gotten a good look at his impact in the last two days with him out of the lineup and just kind of the the uh, the scariness of this, this lineup with and without him. There are so many stunning things going on with with Julio, the the force of the hits, the quantity of the hits, the base running, the fielding, the energy. What is the most compelling or interesting part of of the run that he's on and the player that he is in your eyes? You know, you touched on it for me, and it's the package, right? It's the complete Julio package and how he impacts a game in so many different ways and massive impacts. 
you know, it's, it's not just the hits like 45 hits in August. That's a ton. And I was looking at guys who have OPS over a thousand with that many hits. And all of a sudden the, the, the list just shrinks. And then you pare it down. Well, who's also stolen uh, 10 bags or more in that stretch. And you know, it, it's the, it's all these different skills that are at play with Julio. And yeah, maybe a guy has 40 plus hits in a month, but he doesn't have the same kind of power. It doesn't have the extra base hits or, you know, maybe he's got some extra base hits and, and that amount of hits, but he's not swiping 10 bags at the same time. And then you throw in the defense. And I think he's been superb in center field. And for me, it's just his constant impact to the game. And it's amazing when it all comes together, we've seen it all come together in this recent stretch and just what a dominant player he is and how he makes the game look so easy, <laughs> which is incredible. I mean, that stretch, it's like when he made an out, you're like, whoa, <laughs> that's it. Yeah. They got him out. Like maybe they should keep the ball because they got Julio out. That's a, that's a big deal, but it, it has been so fun to watch and bigger picture. You know, I grew up, uh, with Ken Griffey Jr. here. And it, I was, I thought it was so lucky. I was so fortunate that I got a chance to, who I thought was the greatest player I'd ever seen. And I got a chance to watch him every single day. And for Mariner fans now, I feel like they are experiencing that sort of thing. And I, I don't want to make the comparison to Griffey because I don't think it's fair, but I think Mariner fans are experiencing greatness and experiencing what a superstar is. Because I, I think Julio is a superstar in so many different ways. I think he's the kind of player that transcends the game and there's not many of those. And this last month has been, it's been utterly ridiculous. And yeah. you're right about his impact with the Mariners. Uh, he, he's the engine for this team and for them to reach their peak, to be at their best, he's got to be Julio. That's kind of unfair to ask for a 22 year old, but it, it, it is what it is. Like he's a great player. It's a good point you make, um, you know, the 45, the total package, you know, the 45 hits, the 10 stolen bases. You could see someone like Luis Arias, you know, maybe he'll do 45 hits. Estuary Ruiz, maybe he'll steal 10 bases. But it is so rare that you'll get one guy who can do all of that plus the added power like you're talking about. So that thank you for that. That's a good answer. Appreciate that. You know, that's a striking thing to me. And sometimes I feel like, especially when he's – on a heater like this at the plate, like some of the other skills can get lost. We, we were just talking to Jerry DePoto recently about his defense and he was, and sometimes, you know, I'm a fan of defensive metrics, but I know they always don't tell the whole story. And Jerry was talking about how much he appreciates Julio in the gaps and his reads and how crisp they are and how fast he is. It's funny because sometimes we give credit to like a diving catch, but a lot of times Julio doesn't even need to dive. He's just so fast, runs such great routes that he just tracks down a ball that other center fielders wouldn't get. And sometimes I we think the guy who has to dive rather than the guy who just gets there on his feet. Yeah. Yeah. So sometimes I feel like uh, in some ways Julio can be underappreciated, which is amazing to think about. We, we saw it with with the just the angles that he takes versus the angles that Lawrence Butler took in the first game of that series of just it. it you're off by two steps when that ball comes off the bat and you can tell that, that it's, you know, that, that leads to an extra base hit and Julio is nails on all of those. And seems like he has been all season. 
Uh, Phil's got a question. He's at a restaurant right now, so he's going to be in and out. But Phil had a question about when the team is 50 and 50 coming out of the, the twin series. And that's that it's 50 and 50. It's it's as it's as right in the middle as you could possibly get. All of us are wondering, you know, is, is this cooked? Have we run out of time? What was your outlook at that moment when it was about as middle of the road as it possibly could be? Yeah, that's one of the junctures in the season that I point to because they just lost an extra inning game to the Twins and they lost a lot of close games. And they were really the definition of a 500 team. Like they had never won more than four in a row. They had never lost more than four in a row. And I think Jerry put it best. They had a relationship with 500. They just they just couldn't get rid of. A toxic relationship. That's right. Yeah, yeah. that's so- exactly right. Gary, there's a couple, there was a couple of, of key moments, I guess, that I just kind of want to get your thoughts on. Yeah. Um, obviously, we're going back in time here. The team's been on an incredible run. But going back in time, there was the uh, a, a rather striking moment to us just because we've grown up in Seattle our whole lives. We understand who these fans are, and, and they're very supportive. There was a moment, I think, in the Tampa Bay Rays series, they lost 15-4, to 4, and there was booing. Uh, you could you could hear the frustration from from a, a vocal part of the fan base. And, you know, they expected more. They wanted more. There was booing and call it what you want. Some people would say deserve. Some people say you shouldn't boo the players. That was kind of one of the low points to me. There was another low point um, after the uh, Detroit Tiger series coming out of the break. What were your thoughts kind of during those moments? Um, did you feel like the team had a had a path back or were you thinking that this might be a this might be a long, a long season for, for the Mariners here. Yeah. It's funny. Cause Aaron Goldsmith and I were just talking about that Tampa Bay sequence specifically, because if you remember before that game, cause that was like an eight run eighth, <sighs> I think in that game, like Munoz comes on in a close game and all of a sudden Mike Ford is pitching in the next inning. I mean, it was that kind of thing. The day before was the Patrick Corbin game mm-hmm. where they were dominated by Corbin. And so, Aaron and I were talking about reflecting on that. Now that was rock bottom of the season. And I remember at the time thinking that the Mariners had not played up to expectations, which to your point is why fans were frustrated because everyone had expectations on what this year would be. Uh, Fans had expectations. Uh, We had expectations. The players certainly had expectations. We guys talking to us, we're talking about world series and making a big run. So I think everyone had those expectations. And so there was frustration that it wasn't happening. I always thought it was in there. Now, I can't say I saw this run coming because this this has been an all-time ridiculous run. I thought they could put it together and play well for an extended period. But in terms of running out of time, I also thought that some other teams would have to slow down too because i always thought the hardest part about this whole thing it wasn't the games back i thought they could get the games back it was the amount of teams in front of them Mm -hmm. because at the time you're talking about you know remember like the angels were in front of them and the yankees were in front of them. it's hard to think about now but that was the case and the red sox were there and you had astros and the blue jays like all these teams in the mix and for me that was always the difficulty even playing well they'd have to get some help because there were just so many teams to get by. Now, little did I know they'd be a rocket ship and just blow by all these teams, including the Rangers, which I didn't see that coming. 
I, I did not see that one coming at all. It, it's ridiculous that it's happened and how fast it's happened. They covered, they covered eleven games on the Rangers in a month, which mm-hmm. is really hard to do, but they did it. <laughs> Brandon, you have anything? I have more of the like Gary Hill, the broadcaster journey questions. So why don't you keep going with your, with your Mariners questions? Well, if it's all right, Gary, I'll just keep yeah. peppering. That you've... Um, so you've been here, you've been in your current role. You took over from Kevin, Kevin Kremen in, in what year exactly was that? Uh, 18, I think mm-hmm. they all, got, uh, they kind of run together a little bit. I think. Yeah. It was, yeah. So you saw the uh, I'd like to I like to say, you know, the two different eras that you've seen. You obviously were with, you know, in your current role when there was Cano, Cruz, Seeger, Zanino. You know, that 2018 team was kind of the last hurrah of mm. that of that iteration of the Seattle Mariners. Then obviously in 2019, you know, a lot's been said about what the Mariners did, but, you know, shipped off Paxton, Zanino, uh traded Cano, Cruz went away, you know, all of that. So I guess my question to you is how, how have you seen the culture in the clubhouse? Because you are around these guys, you interview them, you know, how have you seen the culture in the clubhouse shift from kind of that old guard of the Cano, Cruz, Seeger uh, era to kind of maybe the new leadership, uh, JP Crawford, Julio, obviously Logan Gilbert, those, those types of guys. You know, when I think about that question, I think it more from an organizational standpoint, because I feel like, you know, it's taken some time to get where they're at right now, but I feel like the entire organization is on the exact same page. Uh, Whether you're talking to the major league coaching staff, major league players, guys coming up through the minors, like the message is all the same, whether you're talking about the hitting side or the pitching side. And so a lot of these guys now have grown up in that environment. The Mariners have a really young team, but a lot of the guys have come through the system and, and that's what they know. So it's, it's really different in that regard because that veteran team you're talking about a Seager, the exception, but all those guys came from different places. Even Seager grew up in an entirely different regime. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is a forensic regime. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I just look at this organization completely different than it was before like same organization by name but everything is different on the inside and it's the it's the thing that i think the mariners have done really well and we've seen it pay a huge dividends with the pitching especially that they've grown but also cal and julio and and marlo's made an impact so there's been some impact on the hitting side but i think they're they've done a lot of great things in development which Personally, I feel like is the most important thing you can do in baseball, whether you're developing draft picks or international signs or guys from other orgs, you know, the the Seawalds, the Topas, that kind of thing. I think development is everything. And I think the Mariners are doing a lot of things well on both sides, but especially on the pitching. I think they're one of the best uh, orgs in baseball at that right now. So it's a really interesting question, but I think the org is just – it's just altogether different. It's something that's good to keep in mind, especially for our listeners. You know, we talk about a lot. Um, it's it's easy to kind of want to take the shortcut and fast track and just, you know, do kind of, I don't want to use this as a pejorative, but go the Rangers route, right? Where it's throw a bunch of money um, really quickly and try and bridge that gap to your, to your wave of prospects, whatever the Rangers are trying to do. You know, the jury's still out on that. But I think there is some 
something to be said for, as you've mentioned, um, really trying to develop a core and a philosophy and a culture that comes from seeing these guys oftentimes from the time they're 16, 17 years old, all the way up through, through the system. So thank you um, for that. And just last question I got for you here, and then I'll let, I'll let Brandon talk. Um, we're going to go into a long off season um, at some point, hopefully at that point comes later down the road. Uh, I guess as a fan, if you can put your, and you don't have to get into player specifics, what do you feel like this team needs right now? I think it's, I think it's fair to say this team is a very, very, very good team. They're not quite on the level of the Atlanta Braves, the Dodgers. They're not quite to that tier quite yet. What do you feel like this team might need to do in the off season to kind of get into that tier with them? Yeah, it's interesting. I haven't thought about the off season much yet, but thinking about where they're at, I think you feel good about a lot of different things. I think they have a, a really good core to build around both offensively, but especially on the pitching side. I think the moving forward with this rotation is pretty exciting. And I think, I mean, I think they're, they're going to need more offensive punch, I think is the, the simple way to answer that where that comes from, I think becomes more challenging, honestly, because you look at the free agent class, for example, and there's just, there's not going to be a lot of help there. Outside of Otani, obviously. Right, I mean, that's, right. uh, yeah. <laughs> that's the obvious one. Outside his, of that, his uh his future is is up in the air. We don't know if he's gonna elect Tommy John next year, what that's gonna mean for him hitting. So even with Otani, who is the crown jewel of the of the offseason, there is still a fair amount of baggage that even comes with with uh the acquisition of a, an Otani. You have Teoscar who's leaving, so they're mm. or potentially leaving. So you have, I think, a few few considerations there. Yeah, so I think the short answer, the obvious answer is is more offense. Now, if you get more specific on, okay, how do you do that? I think that that becomes more challenging. Right. I think it's well, going to be a big, big offseason yeah. for the trade market. I think just given everything else, that, that all the those other factors and even the Otani of it all is just going to make it uh, a lot harder to acquire players by anything but trade. So. We shall see um, come hopefully mid-November when we start thinking about those things again. Like I said, I want to get into your broadcaster journey because I do think it's it's uh, it 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 doesn't it's kind of an undertold story. I remember Phil and I are both huge fans of the organization. All of a sudden, you were just kind of a voice that showed up, and you know, looking into it more, you had really worked your way to get that. <clears throat> You've grown up a huge Mariners fan. That's well documented. So, how did it feel? when you got the full-time call-up to be part of the Mariners radio broadcast crew back in 18? Uh, surreal in a lot of ways, because if you would have asked like little kid me what I wanted to be growing up, it was a Mariners broadcaster. And then as I got older and graduated from high school, I had, I had given up that dream before it had started because I, I felt like I was pretty realistic on, Hey, my whole life, there's been two Mariners broadcasters. What are the chances that I'm going to end up one of them? And it was, uh, I'll remember this forever. I was going to school in Boston at the time and it was, I was in the library. There was a giant snowstorm and I just, it was like a lightning strike. It was like, you know, giving up a dream just cause it's not practical. I think is not smart. So I decided at that point I was going to transfer back to Washington State. I'm going to go after it, see what happens. And it was a long climb. And with the Mariner stuff, it had started several years previously. It's just kind of like a random weekend fill-in for 
pregame postgame show. And then it ended up being a little more, and then it was a steady thing, and then I was filling for Kevin, and you know, filling in play by play. It was just these little steps along the way until 18. But I think about it all the time because I'm reminded of it all the time. Like whenever I see King Griffey Jr. around or Edgar Martinez around, you know, the guys I watched when I was a kid that I talk to and see randomly, there are moments that I was like, this is, you're you, you being around it. You, you kind of get used to it. You, you know, you spend time with the players and coaches and it's, it's part of the job, but then there are other moments that happen. It's like, wow, I can't believe that this whole thing has come together the way it has, because uh, yeah, I would say my journey is, uh, is fairly unlikely one and, and not usual compared to a lot of people in this industry. And I I've had chances to go other places and do other things and pretty good offers other places, but my heart has always been home. It's always been in Seattle. This is always where I've wanted to be. And I feel like I've been incredibly lucky that I've been able to do this. And especially right now, it's such a fun and great time. Speaking of guys who have had uh, unusual journeys in broadcasting and had other offers to do other things, Aaron Goldsmith. And when he announced that he was returning to Seattle last year, that was a very, uh, that was, I mean, it wasn't quite Otani levels, but that was like a huge, it was as if we had signed a huge free agent because of how much he, he and his voice mean to this fan base when he when he announced that he was coming back, there's a story where he a quote from him that says that you were, are as close to a brother as he has ever had. Two questions. What was your reaction when Aaron decided to return to Seattle and stay? And the second question, does that mean that you guys are constantly fighting and you have to be separated by somebody? Because that's what my <laughs> that's what my brother's relationship and I is. That's great. No, I was thrilled that he ended up saying and, you know, we talked quite a bit during that process as it was playing out for him. And yeah, it would have been a, a huge loss for me personally. I, I, I love being around him. We eat together more often than we eat with our families during the course of the season. We each, uh, see each other every single day. And I truly enjoy spending all the time we do with him. And also I thought it would have been a huge loss for Mariners fans because I think Aaron Goldsmith is phenomenal at what he does. And I think Mariner fans really benefit from his knowledge and his work ethic and him being curious about the game. I find it so fun to be living in this time as a baseball fan and as a Mariners fan, because I feel like we know more about baseball and are finding out more and can explore more than we've ever been able, ever been able to. And being curious, I think for broadcasters, probably the most important skill just wondering about how does that work or why are they doing that? Or why does that fastball work against right-handed hitters? You know, whatever it is. And I think it it benefits the listener when it comes to that. We don't do a lot of fighting. We get along really <laughs> well, as it turns out. And we kind of see baseball the same way. And we, we think about it the same way. And we're constantly having conversations about it. He has made me so much of a better broadcaster first of all but also uh someone who watches the game just through our conversations so right. just yeah. said you see baseball the same way with this is something me and brandon talk about because i think me and him see baseball the same way a lot too um 
you know, what, what I guess to you, what does that mean seeing baseball the same way from an analytics perspective or just kind of like the story that baseball tells? What does that mean when you say you see the game the same way? Yeah, it's kind of a all encompassing, I guess, because we we think about baseball and we talk about baseball from a couple different perspectives. Like we talk about it, how it works on the field. We talk about it from the broadcaster's perspective and how we relate it to the listeners, because we think that is obviously super important to what we do, especially in the analytics age, because we're always thinking about, okay, how does this relate to the listener? Yeah. How do we relate this to the listener? How do we really tell people what's going on and make it easy to absorb? If you're like just driving around in your car, you're on your couch at home. Those are the kind of things we're always thinking about and talking about. And we just, we both just love the game, first of all, and we love all the information that comes with it. And we're both, we're both super fortunate. I know we both feel this way that we have access. Like when we have questions about something, we can call up Justin Hollander and he'll answer the question for us. You know, we're, we're just, we're you so literally have a podcast with the GM. So know, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Believe me. I do not take that for granted. Like I talked to Smith a couple of days ago and it's like, I just can have a 30 minute conversation with the analytics guru for the Mariners. Like all these smart people. I feel like, like I'm no smarter than anyone else. I just feel like I am fortunate that I can ask really smart people <laughs> good questions and they can give me the answers. So I feel really lucky in that regard. Yeah, I think the curiosity shows in in both you and Aaron's calls. And I think you both have, and you know, if I'm going to say this name and you're both going to, you are here, you're going to blush. And if Aaron heard this, he'd probably blush. But I remember hearing somebody talk about Vince Scully, of how Vince Scully had this trait to start and stop his stories perfectly. They would always just wrap up right as the third out was coming. Or, you know, he he just had a gift for fitting things into the time. And I think you both have that. And uh, you, Aaron, Dave, that whole crew is just so fun to listen to. So thank you for all that you do, uh, both on the radio and then also in all the podcasts and all the kind of supplemental stuff, because uh, it 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 gives us a lot to work with as fans and we and we love it. I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, so, going is always great at that. That's that's always the key. And as Kevin Kremen, that probably the. The greatest thing I learned from Kevin Kremen, who I feel has done the most to make me better as a broadcaster. Uh, but he always said his number one advice, don't miss the pitch. And so that's the trick, I think, for broadcasters, because, you know, if you're listening to a game, you can you can hear the pop of the mitt in the background. You can hear the back crack. You can hear the crowd. And as we're calling a game. You can't miss it. So you got to tell the story around the action because you don't want to miss the action. Because, you know, you don't want to miss a Julio Homer and the amazing back crack. Like, you, you, everyone's got to hear it. So, yeah. Well said. Well said. Well, last question here. Um, the name of this podcast is Roughly a Podcast. We named it that because we hang on every word that, that Jerry DePoto says, whether it's on The Wheelhouse or on 710. We have... Learned over the years that Jerry's favorite filler word is roughly. And so that is the name. That is why the name roughly a podcast. Have you noticed the use of that word? Or now that we're saying that you're like, oh yeah, I, I've heard that once or twice. As someone who edits a lot. Of <laughs> yes. I have, I have, I have noticed that. I Excellent. have noticed that. And I, I appreciate the turn, turn of phrase in the podcast uh, name. I think that's, 
That's phenomenal. And I it's, do, you know, I can't I, I, unrecognize it once you hear it. It's it's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Well, just so you know, for every wheelhouse episode, I do go through and listen and edit the whole thing. So I, uh, I'm very familiar with, I get very familiar in general. I edit so much audio. I get, everyone has, it's funny. Everyone has patterns and kind of crutch phrases and like everyone had, like, I just use one. Sometimes I say, when I get casual, I say like a lot, which I hate, but I catch myself doing it. Um, and Everyone has that sort of thing. And Jerry's no different than anyone else. But uh, I'm the same thing when I'm editing. I was like, I said it again. (laughs) We all do that. It's so funny. I do feel fortunate that Jerry gives us so much time. Yeah, I do feel like there are not a lot of... And Justin's great, too. I love talking to Justin. I think he's a great talker. Uh, I think we get more insight from the people that make the decisions maybe than more than any other team in major league baseball, which I'm super appreciative of because it it makes our job easier. And I think fans can uh, maybe not, not always agree with everything, which is fine, but certainly appreciate the information and where it's coming from. Yeah. The access is unparalleled and good or bad. It is, it is a fantastic resource for us as fans. Yeah. Well, this is uh we're up against the 930 uh deadline that we provided you uh Gary. So for every minute of your time that we took, we are going to donate a dollar for your favorite charity. So please provide that uh with us and uh for anyone who's listening so that that we can make a donation. Oh, it's so nice. Uh Treehouse is the one I like to donate to and they do a lot of work with foster kids and yeah, they've they're a great organization. So thank you for that. I really appreciate it. Of course, of course. Thank you so much for your time. And we hope that you have a uh, stress-free and fun last 30 or so, roughly 30 games or so left of the season. And uh, thanks so much for coming on. Anytime. We'll do it again soon. This was fun. One more thing for you, buddy. 